Welcome to the Cyber Nation Uncensored Podcast. We welcome all Chumbas, Edge Runners, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, Spice Traders, and Space Folders. Thanks for joining us. Please give us a great review and also be sure to join us on both YouTube and Twitch. We'd love to see you on a live stream. Thanks again. See you soon. Episode of uh, Tales from the Forlorn Dopes. I am your host, Cyber Smiley. Your co-host, Wisdom Zero Zero Zero. Greetings, Probert. I was waiting for your tag, man. Um, so this week we have a very special guest. Uh, I, I am kind of a bit of a fanboy because of all the. The lore he wrote, and it's going to be uh, Will's Moss. Um, we appreciate you coming on, on and joining us, Will. Gentlemen, it's good to be here with both of you. I'm I'm looking forward to the chat, and uh, seems like we got a lot to talk about. Yes, it does seem like there's a lot to talk about, Absolutely. especially with uh, all of your. Comments. I mean, we we named our show after after the adventure source book you wrote, so. That tells you how big of a fan we are. Uh, well, congratulations. I, uh, I now have a grand total of two fans, so that's a start. And uh, <laughs> from this, I will build my empire. Um, so, you know, it's great. But I, I, I'm, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is really far in my past. And uh, we were talking about this a little bit before you opened the mics here. And uh, it's, uh, it's been kind of fun for me to have an excuse to revisit it and... Uh, Take a trip back in time. Yeah, great. Um, so let's ride those waves of nostalgia and, and get on. Yeah. So we start I'm off good with nostalgia. I've reached I've reached a stage in my life where nostalgia is a very big part of like my everyday life. So we'll sink right into that. Yeah, I think after your fourth decade on the, in the world, you start getting a little more and more of that. <laughs> um, start seriously looking up plans for a time machine. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So with all our guests, we uh, start off with a, a quick interview questions. Uh, so it's basically what I call the full auto questionnaire, which are basically short questions with short, quick answers. Um, there's no wrong answers, but there is one right answer in this list. So I'm going to start off. Um, 2020, Talk to me. <laughs> 2020, 2045, or 2077? 2020, for sure. Okay. Favorite cyberpunk role? <sighs> Tough one. Uh, I think the, one of my favorite character creations was, was a media head. And because of my career and where my career ended up going, you know, that was, that was you know, the sort of medias was something I always had an affinity for. That said, I play a lot of solos. <laughs> of course. 
Uh, favorite piece of cyberware? Ooh. Ooh, gotta be the eyes. Cyber optics? Excellent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Favorite cyberpunk weapon? Gotta pass on that one. All right. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them. I know. Uh, favorite cyberpunk red or 2020 book? Well, you know, the favorite book. I mean, you know, I wrote a bunch of them, and, and it's going to be a 2020 book because red is after my time. And this is like asking me to pick among my children. Uh, um, Obviously, you don't have a lot of you know, children. I, because... <laughs> well, I, I think like, so it's even pre-2020. And I'm going to go back to the original cyberpunk. Right. But like, I think the thing that that where I made like the biggest contribution and therefore I carried forward a huge amount of affection for are the corporate source books. One, two, three, um, which I only have two today, which really bugs me. But uh, uh, to me, they were such a big part of the world building. Uh, and so much of that stuff lived on for a long time. Uh, in a way that some of the adventure supplements didn't, that they're, they're the ones that I sort of hold closest to my heart, I would say. Okay. Sure. Um, so next question is least favorite cyberpunk 2020 book. Gonna pass on that one too. Can't assassinate <laughs> my friends. All right. This question, <laughs> not sure if you'll get the reference, but Pan Am, Judy or Rogue? Uh, I do not get the reference. Yeah. And now I'm dying to know. Uh, it's part of the Cyberpunk 2077 game. This except one, for Rogue. I've only had a computer that's been up to it for like a month. So you have to give me some time. I'll give you some time. We'll, all right. So we'll, yeah, we'll book no, you for, we'll for a future. Back on and, and get your reaction. Um, I know. I, I, it's, it's, it's on the list. It's like Edge Runners, which we'll talk about, which yeah. kind of took me a while to get to. And finally, I did. Well, speaking of Edge Runner, Lucy, Rebecca, or Kiwi? Oh, Kiwi. All right. We'll skip the next question because, again, interesting, interesting character. Has references to uh, 2077. Um, next question is David Maine or Pillar? Got to pass. All right. Favorite Night City gang? Oh. Oh. That's another tough one. Uh,. I mean, the one that I remember, and again, this is going to fall back on, uh, I'm going to fall back a lot on things that like I had a role in, in creating because that's what I remember. Uh, and it's been a long time since I played, but like the one I always think back on and wish I had done more with is that I, I created a, a, a psychotic gang based on the Coneheads and, uh, <laughs> and I honest to God wish I had done more with them. Okay. So the Coneheads, um, now this one they is probably gang, obviously, yeah. but... so, so this one is going to be I think similar to the favorite book is favorite mega corporation. I think well, we can guess. I mean, you know, like 
there's only one answer to that question, and I have a special claim to it, right? So the favorite mega corporation, like I created a bunch of the mega corporations. That was my job for Mike for a while. I was dreaming up corporations. Why so I wrote all the corporate source books. Amazingly, I then had a career in corporations. So make of that what you will. But uh, uh, <laughs> wouldn't have guessed it at the time. But uh, um, I mean, it's always going to be Arasaka, um, but because I created it and. I put more thought into it than I did into any of the other corporations um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, it yeah. showed. Yeah, reading your Twitter th thread, it definitely sounds like you thought a lot about. Arisaka. There was just a ton of love put into the corporation that everybody loves to hate. It's we can we can talk a little more on that and let's get through sure. these questions. Yeah. So, favorite yeah. cyberpunk movie. Huh. Um, it's funny. I made a list yesterday as I was thinking about this, and and it's just very very hard to pick. Um, you know, I I will, and it kind of depends how you define cyberpunk. And I know you wanted one word answers, and yeah. I'm failing, so you can <laughs> give me an answer that. Um, I think when I think about things that made like a huge impression on me, obviously Blade Runner did. It came out, you know, as a teenager and, and I tried to show it to my kid recently, which was a giant failure. Uh -huh. um, uh, I, I, I think maybe one of the movies that made like the hugest impression on me just in terms of how it rendered a dystopian landscape was in fact Clockwork Orange. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Stanley Kubrick film. And uh, it's, it's often, it's one that's stuck in my imagination in a big way. I mean, it's a really, troubling movie and difficult to watch but as a as something that embodies a lot of what i think about the cyberpunk genre i think it's, it's one that's loomed large but there's a lot of movies that i kind of consider adjacent to cyberpunk that were really important to me i mean the matrix movies were a big deal i think like all the hong kong movies of john woo the sort of ornate gunplay i think that's all very cyberpunk adjacent and there's a lot of other movies i love robocop crow even Parasite, the Korean things. movie, the Bong Joon-ho movie that came out a couple of years ago, I kind of think of as a sort of cyberpunk movie. Like, I, I think yeah. it's just, there's so many ways when you start talking about what makes cyberpunk that you can start connecting stuff. I, and I'm kind of getting over my skis a little <laughs> bit here. I watched the movie, the original Rollerball, the James Caan movie, yes. a couple oh, of weeks ago for the first time in maybe 20 years. And I was like, this is a total cyberpunk movie. I, I, Absolutely. I, mean, I knew it was like a dark future movie, but it didn't. I, have not, I didn't remember how much it was sort of the corporate aspect was important. And it's a it's like a great cyberpunk movie. So I, I think, yeah. you know, there's a lot there. But The Clockwork Orange is, is, is one that was really important to me in terms of just like the dent it made on my head. But okay. boy, is it, is it a difficult movie to watch. Favorite cyberpunk Yeah, my fiction. mom. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say my dad took my mom to see Clockwork Orange in the hopes that it would, you know, uh, instigate her labor <laughs> he was trying to shock her into having did it work uh no no it was a it was a plate of really spicy chili that finally did it <laughs> so moving along uh, always. Yeah. favorite cyberpunk fictional character oh my gosh um didn't know there was going to be a quiz did you <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I would have done my setting. Um, 
I'm I'm thinking about my list, and I'm thinking about. And I don't want to double dip on a on a on a on a Clockwork Orange. Um, I, can I can I offer a character that I think is basically a cyberpunk character? Although I don't know that everybody will view it this way, but that also Absolutely. is like hugely formative on my young self. Judge Dredd. Fuck He's yeah, it's totally cyberpunk. cyberpunk. Yeah. Good. I'm glad we agree on that because. I grew up reading Judge Dredd comics. My father was English. And I used to go to England and buy 2000. In fact, I have framed Judge Dredd originals on my wall. I'm looking at them right now. But I, I think Ooh, jealousy again when I when I think of Mega City One and the world that you know they, the 2000 AD writers and artists built in the sort of late 70s and I, and the the role that Judge Dredd plays. I, I think he's a cyberpunk character. And, and I, again, like he might also, if I, if I was elevating one, he might be the one I would, I would elevate. Okay, good. That makes perfect sense to me. I mean, Gibson, Dix or Stevenson. Oh. Um, It's a tough one. I liked a lot of the early Gibson, and uh, I think he was he was such a huge influence on our early thinking about cyberpunk. Um, uh, and and I haven't read a lot of his later works. You know, I read stuff sort of back in the day in the in the eighties. Um, I, I certainly think he influenced, I, I did, I read Dick too, and I, I think he was important. I don't think he, you know, it, it was like, it was like the movies that arose from Dick's work in the eighties that were more influential, I think upon us than his original novels. Whereas I think Gibson's novels were, uh, uh, were like, they were just like, wound incredibly tightly up into what we and what Mike were thinking about, you know, in the 80s when Cyberpunk was being built. So your answer is Gibson? Yeah, let's go with Gibson. Okay. That makes, uh, yeah. Favorite Cyberpunk novel? Ooh. Don't worry, there's one more question after this and then we're done. <laughs> These guys were all hard. You should have front-loaded me with these. I would have been much. I would have sounded much smarter. Um, yeah, but then you would have thought of the answer, and you know, it's supposed to be quick. You know. Yeah. And I'm 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 trying to think if I have one that I liked above the others, or that I went back to, and. The answer is I'm not sure that there was. And I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and there are no cyberpunk novels on it. <laughs> Make of that what you will. Um, uh, but, uh, but I'm not sure there is one that I would pick. Okay. And that's just the way it is. Understandable. Um, the final question is Shadowrun Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. I never played Shadowrun. And uh, to me, it always it was like 
I don't know. I, I always, I mean, first of all, I had tribal loyalties, right? Um, and, uh, and then I, I, um, I, I don't think at the time, like when we were all working for RTG, I just don't remember us going across the aisle much. And, uh, and so, you know, it's always got to be cyberpunk for me. Now, there were other games that I played a lot back in the day. My 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 gang, we played a lot of Champions, played a certain amount of Call of Cthulhu. We were a big Champions group. We played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons because, of course, we did, right? Like, that was like the long-running game we had. But the only cyberpunk game I played was cyberpunk. And I played the other RTG games, too, especially Teenagers from Outer Space, which we used to really enjoy running at the conventions, which is, of course, not. Really, it's a super fun game. game. It is a lot of fun, especially if you have the right head for it. And it and it's got. It took me a while to kind of get on the right anarchic wavelength. Uh, um, but uh, um, but I, I think that uh, I think that it, it, in the right hands, a huge amount of fun. Yeah, I mean, you got to be on the same page. You got to come from the mindset of like Project Echo or Yurei Yatsura. Uh, yeah, and then you and 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 I think that's exactly right. I think those shows were were big influences, but I think you also have to kind of come from Warner Brothers, right? Like sure. you, you sort of you like just a certain amount of like pure cartoon it doesn't make any sense lunacy like anvil on the head lunacy i think is the kind of secret to that game and if you embrace that then you know it's a lot of fun so is that yes it is cyberpunk oh yeah it's cyberpunk i mean the answer is cyberpunk i mean that's yeah. a long-winded way of saying it, it is now and forever it's, it's it's cyberpunk in my opinion that's the only question you can get wrong and you got it wrong <laughs> no he didn't he got it right he's yeah, he he's choosing cyberpunk He's not choosing, he's not saying Shadowrun is cyberpunk. He's saying in his head, cyberpunk is his cyberpunk. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm getting out of what he's saying. Yeah. And, and like, you have to understand, like, my relationship with, with the material here, right? Like, there were games that I played, but because I was writing for RTG cyberpunk, you know, when I was in my sort of early 20s, and I, you know, like I spent, like I lived the life of a writer, right? Like I spent just days locked in my head with that universe, like me and the computer, you know, uh, um, I, would, I would get a contract from Mike to go write something. And it was always wonderful when that happened because I would get an advance, which meant I could buy food <laughs> which was otherwise an iffy, iffy proposition. And uh, I would, you know, my writing hours were like 2 p.m. till the wee hours. And I spent just days in my one-bedroom apartment, like just locked up with the computer till the God knows what time of night, just like in that world which was like a level of intimacy I never had with anything else. And, and you know, like the only thing that probably consumed as many hours of my life was my high school D&D game, which was like a long-running mega classic where we used to do a, a weekly all-nighter. 
which was probably better than going out and doing crimes as far as my mom was or drugs (laughs) only only incrementally um and uh uh but you know i i don't think you can i I mean you know for me i can't disentangle how i feel about cyberpunk from having been kind of like locked up in a room with the material for like so many hours, days, months, and years. And, uh, and, and so it just lives in a different place in my head than any of the other games do. Okay. So before we continue, I just want to um, tell our audience exactly who you are, right? When it comes to cyberpunk. So you've been credited with writing or contributing to the cyberpunk 2020 um, base book. Did you write any of the Cyberpunk 2013, or was that purely Mike? I'm, yeah, we know we, yeah, we all, like a bunch of us contributed to it, okay. uh, and we're working with Mike into the run-up. So I'm sure. I mean, more of my time was spent on the supplemental material for that original Cyberpunk, and then yep. for 2020. But yeah, we were all sort of banging our heads together. Okay. I mean, Mike was the main creative force yep. for it, though. So you wrote Corporate Book 1, 2, and 3. You wrote uh, Tales from the Forlorn Hope, uh, which, of course, we're named after. Um, Live and Direct, Night City Sourcebook, Solos 1 and 2, Rocker Boy, Land of Parts the Free. Those, those were group efforts contributed to. They are. You, you were credited as a writer uh, of, in, in these books. I, I'm not saying you, you get all the credit for some of these books, except for the, the Corporate Books 1, 2, 3, which, you know. You are the main author. And Tales from the Forlorn Hope. From and, the hopes, yep. Um, so, uh, Rocker Boy, Land of Land the Free, of Free, When Gravity Fails. Uh, you also wrote some of the Dream Park books. Now, I'm confused because I've seen credit that you worked on Cyberpunk version 3. Is that I accurate? I remember or no? doing that. And I, I, I mean, so this is a long time ago. Uh, and I don't remember working on it, but it's also possible that I did stuff that got carried forward, right? Yep, like that's that, true. Like, how that happened. Um, you know, I, I um, what year did 2020 come out? Uh, 1990. Did it? To, not, to, oh, 2020. Uh, 2020. Sorry. I thought. Yeah, V3, 20. I think, came out in what, 2004, 2005? Yeah. But yeah, there was, was a lot of material that did get carried over. Yeah, so I didn't write for Mike after I moved to Asia in 1995. Now, I was working on a cyberpunk game project for the first 14 months I was in Asia. I'll talk about that. But I didn't I didn't write for him anymore after that. And then I, I was like, I was, you know, I got sort of assimilated into the world of like uh, working in tech startups and like just full-time gigs. So anything of mine that's like, where my name appears after 1995, it's just old work getting pulled forward or, you know, because I, I was, yeah, I, I wasn't sort of doing projects anymore. Okay. Okay. Well, there's all your credits. Um, you also did a little bit of authoring in some other books that were not cyberpunk related. Um, at least I think you were. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. Well, it was definitely the Dream Park stuff where I did that triplet of supplements. Uh, and I can't remember. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if, if I contributed any written material to teenagers or 
Mekton? Uh, Mekton, I did not. We played Mekton, and that was what Mike was had done when I met him. You know, Mekton was kind of his, his the project that was underway, and of course we were all sort of Japanese giant robot fans. I don't remember contributing to Mekton. Um, I mean, like I will tell you that ninety percent of what I did was cyberpunk, and you know, and then with kind of other stuff was 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 on the side, as it were. Okay, so. How did, how did you get involved with Artel Sorian? Uh, obviously, you became one of their major writers, uh, especially in those early days. Um, but how did you meet up with them? Uh, well, so, you know, I was a nerd. And uh, this kind of goes without saying, I suppose. And uh, um, I had, in high school, I had, in the early 80s, because I'm old, I, I had... Uh, uh, you know, I had discovered and fallen in love with anime principally through Star Blazers, right? The Americanized version of Yamato, yeah. which I discovered in the afternoons. And like immediately I was like, what is this? And I'd always been a science fiction fan. And then that was just like so unlike anything I'd ever seen. So I, I started like devouring anime when I was in high school. So I got to college in 1981. And this is, you know, I was like a big anime head. And I got to the dorms and, you know, I immediately put up all of my like anime posters in my half of my dorm room, which was like a big advertisement for like, you will never get laid. And, uh, <laughs> and, and my roommate shows up later and my roommate, my freshman year of college was a very nice guy, but he was older because he had spent four years in the Navy before uh, going to university, the University of California at Santa Cruz. And uh, he shows up and finds, and I'm not there, and half the room is covered in Japanese posters. And he's like, I don't get it. Is my roommate Japanese or what's going on here? Um, at any rate, he thought I was a, a complete weirdo and uh, uh, couldn't believe his like bad luck at winding up with me. We got along fine, mostly because he immediately got a girlfriend and vanished from our room for the rest of the year. But uh, yeah, I don't know. My socialization as a nerd was uh, that, that first year was an adventure. Um, but so, uh, 1981, 82, my freshman year at Santa Cruz, um, you know, my, my buddies and I, had, uh, um, uh, and a couple of my high school friends had also gone to Santa Cruz and we were, you know, so we were sort of together. Well, uh, we discovered the, uh, this comic and game store, uh, called Game-A-Lot, which was in the basement of this retail, this sort of Victorian retail building. Uh, the Cooper House on Pacific Garden Mall in Santa Cruz would later be trashed in the earthquake of 1989. I remember that. And, uh, you know, it was the local comic book and game store. So I, I remember walking into it, like, for the first time and uh, seeing this, like, giant cherub-cheeked red-headed guy sitting at a green felt gaming table with a bunch of supplements open, like, just eating by chewing on an unsliced gallo salami and thinking to myself, these are my people. I found them. <laughs> uh, that was Mike McDonald with whom I would, you know, do a lot of cyberpunk related work later who would join my adventures in Asia uh, and become a, a good friend. I'm still in touch with today. Um, but so Mike was working there part-time. I, I don't remember who introduced me to him, but like, you know, I, I met him and we, 
you know, and he was a big anime head and he was talking about doing a game based on Japanese giant robots. And I thought that was, you know, that all sounded really cool. And, and, you know, we kind of, I, I mean, I guess we started hanging out together mostly to like watch movies, you know, like watch anime and like, you know, he was living in Aptos near Santa Cruz at the time. And, and, uh, and and so that was the kind of genesis of it. it kind of, I I think of it as arising out of the the, the, the culture that had blossomed in that store, Game a Lot, which was literally in a basement, like a lightless basement, you know, underneath this 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 building in Santa Cruz, and and um, but it was great. Like it was you know it was a great little bunch of people, and and you know he sort of assembled this kind of weird tribe of fellow traveler nerds who were like playing the games with him, playing, you know, his first version of Mekton and watching anime and later I think would become the sort of creative, the group that was at the creative core of Cyberpunk, which is the next project along the line. So you played Traveler with Mike in the in the original days? I haven't thought about Traveler in a thousand years. I don't remember if we did or did not. I definitely remember watching a lot of anime at this place. Okay. Uh, you know, like I remember it's... watching, but I don't remember playing Traveler. Maybe we did. You like this is like this is like thirty five years ago, and you know, like a lot of a lot of a lot of Manhattans. So like you know, <laughs> the memories are spotty. I haven't thought about this stuff for a long time. It's funny that you talk about comics and anime and that being your in because that was. That was my in as well uh, into into the game is you know I had gotten introduced to anime around 1987 uh, um, after dabbling with what came on sporadically on American television, uh, and it was my love of things like Bubblegum Crisis and Appleseed and things like that that well, when I, I first can't believe I didn't mention any anime movies when we were talking about like cyberpunk movies or or anime characters, but beside the point, continue. <laughs> Uh, it was it was my love of you know, Appleseed and Bubblegum Crisis, that when I finally was introduced to cyberpunk by my anime friends at the Kansas City Art Institute, that I was like, holy shit, this is the game that speaks to me. Written by people who, if I knew them, we'd get along famously. Like that was in my head. That was my head canon. So you reminded me of another sort of like foundational movie that I didn't mention, which was Akira. You know, oh yeah, like, uh, which was you know, which was also a big part of the aesthetic and like how we were thinking about it. Um, Akira, Megazone Twenty Three, um, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, these things were like they were definitely like a big part of what was floating around in our heads um, as we kind of went through this. Here might have been a little bit later. It might have been after we started. I'm trying to think about when it came out, but I, I know that it made a big dent when it did come out. 89? 87? Yeah, 89? so we were already. I like yeah, I, I want to think we were already kind of doing cyberpunk stuff, but it, like, you know, I don't know. Like, that movie was like, it definitely rang everybody's bell. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw it anywhere was at a one of the kansas city comic book conventions i had been reading my the psychic girl and i just looked down at the marvel booth because you know epic comics the marvel imprint was running the akira comic 
and they were advertising, but I thought it was like an animated my, uh, and yeah, just things dominoed into place from that point forward. Yeah, and I that think... stuff was really powerful. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, so from my experience, right? Yes, I, I remember um, Star Blazer when growing up, and, and Robotech. And that kind of was like a little bit of the anime that I got into. But once I started playing cyberpunk, that's when I actually got a lot more exposed to anime and manga. Um, and really, I was kind of brought in to that genre uh, from that avenue because I've been gaming for since 78, 78. <laughs> so for me, gaming has always been like, my main focus a little bit of the marvel comics and dc comics but um but yeah when when cyberpunk came out it was just an, an eye-opener compared to like any of the other role-playing games i've played so i mean i think cyberpunk as a game is you know is 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 um it's it was always interesting in a way that some of the other games weren't because it was, you know, they say that like the, the, the saying is that science fiction is always really about the present, right? You know, it's always a way of kind of articulating your feelings about the present in a, in a different way. Um, yeah. And I think that's definitely true of cyberpunk and it was definitely true of our version of the cyberpunk, uh, our version of cyberpunk, I should say, like, and, and you know, it was not only was it hugely influenced by like anime and, and like Japanese pop culture of the eighties, um, as was the, you know, as Metcon was as well, but cyberpunk was also much more directly rooted in like, uh, um, our, you know, sort of like, like a whole basket of like Reagan era neurosis, right? Like, like neurosis <laughs> about Japan's rise and, you know, America's problems and our entanglements in Central America. And, and you have to remember, this is like what was happening as we were writing cyberpunk was like, like the emergence of consumer computing, which was when I was in high school, you know, like when I started high school, nobody had computers. And when I finished high school, most of the households of my friends had a computer and by the time i finished college in 1989 like we all had individual computers that happened during those decades and and so like computing power moving into the proximity of like regular people was kind of another part of that like where is this going to go and what's it going to mean and i remember i have a very clear memory i mean i don't know maybe it's a hallucination but it stuck with me for a long time of like a bunch of us sitting around in, in Mike's living room in Aptos. And this was, this was like Mike's superpower was to like just dream up crazy stuff that the rest of us couldn't see. And Mike holding up like a paperback book, you know, probably was a Bruce Sterling novel and, and, um, and saying, can you guys imagine like when our personal computers are like the size of this book and all of us being like, Mike, that'll never happen. You know, like, bullshit, <laughs> But, you know, like, I, I, so credit to Mike for seeing the mobile revolution way before the rest of us did. But, you know, that idea of, like, technology beginning to kind of invade our lives, that was very much also a product of the 80s when, like, computers were becoming a personal item in a way that they hadn't been before. And so I, I think 
all of that kind of got folded into cyberpunk and cyberpunk is about the present. And that's also why, you know, you can go back and revisit the early writing and you can see kind of there's it's, an, it's such a fascinating mix to me of things we really got right. The euro dollar, you know, um, and um, uh, uh, and kind of, you know, the political fracturing of 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 the the world and the, and then ever more intimate relationships with technology and our relationship with technology now are like super intimate but also the stuff we just got hilariously wrong because it was like tinged to the 80s like i wrote a soviet state you know oil company into being you know which was like that seems to be relevant you know about sort of five years after i created it um i mean you guys predicted idea. the end of the soviet union as it was like the not reunification later. of the West and everything. Not, not at the beginning we didn't. At the beginning, you know, like in the first version, it's still around. Um, and, you know, we were adaptable and always willing to revise. Um, <laughs> but it, but, and definitely, definitely, and this is a big part of the whole, like, 80s mental state, you all remember, is just like, not just the Japanese pop culture, but this sense that, like, Japan was ascendant and it was going to, like, you know, like, kind of leave a dent on the rest of the world, which, you know, I, I like, I don't think it, it, it's funny to me as somebody who was infatuated, was a Japanophile and studied Japanese, you know, and like got sucked into this and then thought that I would wind up in Asia, like probably in or around Japan. And I did wind up in Asia, but not in Japan. Um, you know, looking at the landscape today and seeing Japan really like, in terms of like economic impact second to China and strategic impact second to China and in pop culture impact, like it's secondary to Korea. Like it's really interesting to me, like yeah. how different the landscape of 2020 is from like, you know, like what, what we got right and what we got wrong. And I, I dwell on that a lot um, because it, it, I just, it, it tells me a lot about how we thought about that stuff back in the day and what it was rooted in. Yeah, and I think from a perspective of like viewing, especially in cyberpunk with Japan, um, there there's an idea of what Japan is, right, and, and the culture itself. So if if you look at like even like China at the time and Korea at the time, they were very. I'm not going to. I don't want to be derogative in that in in that they were a little bit backwards in their mentality and understanding. They were still very much developing countries. Like, yeah. It's not yeah. wrong to say that. Yeah. Right. So, so they didn't quite understand the, the, what the modern world was. Whereas Japan, I think in the eighties kind of embraced that. And, and it's through history, you, you, you look at cultures, any culture, you, you'll see that any culture is going to repeat, past mistakes of of that culture or they just for whatever reason something works for them so they try to continue it and i think japan is one of those cultures that and you look at their history you know you had the the tokugawa period or the edo period for centuries and they're very rigid in what they think so so they'll have a burst of ideas and technology or, or ideas and, and forward thinking and innovation and it just culminates and then all of a sudden the culture just like says okay we're at that plateau 
let's continue that plateau um, because they don't they they ride <laughs> ride that wave as long as they can and i think that's kind of what happened with japan from the 80s they tried to ride that wave and economically it did not work for them right because of their the, the crash that happened in the 90s um and they still try i mean they're they're still the the what the third economic power of the world oh yeah they're a giant yes uh, uh, um if you don't take the eu as a group um then yeah. and it's probably best to not then yeah i think they're number three and definitely like a giant economy and a sort of big force on the world economically and still in some ways culturally yep um and, but I, you know, in the 80s, like in our imagination, Japan was going to create the future, right? When we imagined yeah. technology and you had you know, like, I think back on how powerful the Japanese consumer brands were like, like, you know, like Sony, you know, was like, just was an Monolithic. unbelievable mm -hmm. consumer electronics behemoth, you know, and it, and, it, and it did create things. Like I remember when the Walkman came out and like, People were like, oh, my God, the teenagers are all screwed, you know, because they're going to be disconnected forever. Like it caused a moral panic, which is right. hilarious in <laughs> retrospect, but you know, yeah. every new technology does. Um, or even the uh, floppy disk, and, which Japan, you know, invented, which yeah, brought computing yeah, well, and, to like and, another level. But I think uh, also uh, uh, probably the compact disk, I think, yep. is a Matushka creation. Like a lot of, I mean, they really did like, create a bunch of those technologies back in the day. And, you know, we drew the dotted line from that, like these guys are going to create the new technologies forever. And that cycle turned in a, in a, in a, in a big way, which is really interesting. Um, and, and in fact, the opposite happened where sort of Japan became a, an island unto itself in many ways, in terms of, of technology, sort of literally and metaphorically, which was not what we expected. But at the time, it was very easy to extrapolate and to extrapolate the strengths of their companies. And, and that was very much like, I mean, like that's what the creation of Arasaka owes itself to, right? You could imagine in the early eighties, it was easy to imagine that like the globe spanning behemoth corporations of, you know, what was then 30 years in the future, we're going to be these, you know, we're going to be Zaibatsu, Japanese, you know, conglomerate like they that was very very easy to imagine um and, and yeah i mean was it was being pushed everywhere much. at the time like this yeah, is going to be the future like not only with science fiction just with like contemporary culture like that that was undoubtedly going to be the future and then right and so know, we all didn't. kind of surfed that wave um, <laughs> You know, it didn't it didn't materialize that way, which I, I think is 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 interesting. And 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 that does make me and I, I wrote about this a bit in that Twitter thread that I, I shared with both of you, which I was responding to somebody else's insight. It wasn't an original thought. And I, I want to give credit to, to, to where it's due, um, which in this case is to a Chinese uh, uh, maker and, and, and tweeter named Naomi Wu, but she was the one who talked about cyberpunk as in its classic form as being a sort of a future extrapolated from the eighties, even as it's made today, you know, even like edge runners, like that is, it's a, it remains a kind of, I know we keep moving the date back, right? Cyberpunk 2077, you know, is in, in the case of the, 
the game, uh, this, the the computer game, the CD Project Red game. But um, uh, uh, I think what she got right is that fundamentally there there's an element to cyberpunk which is really a parallel world imagined from the 1980s, right? Like it's less an extrapolation of where we are today than I think a sort of a, a, a what if, you know, the world yeah. as we had imagined it then had come into being. And, I, and that, which is fine, but I, I think you sort of have to recognize that as, as, a, as, as like an inherent part of the genre. In that case, it, it, its relationship is, is closer to steampunk, right? Which is a sort of alternate, like cyberpunk is an alternate reality yeah, I mean, that's no the way how I've, far back you move the date. I've always described it to people uh, is it's an alternate future with the or at this point, alternate past, but with the divergent point being 1990. Right? Yeah, this and, is what happens. And I think when that, these technologies take that off difference between um, the punks that came out of cyberpunk, right? So you have steampunk, you have diesel punk, you have all these other punks. They kind of borrowed from cyberpunk and, and even the authors of, of those genres and, and the persons who, who, who created the, the, that, that punk terminology will always say, yeah, we, we go to cyberpunk and we, we just add punk to the end of, of whatever future we have. Um, <laughs> a lot of those, I think, was, and, and that's, that's the weird genre between those system or those genres, as it were, um, versus cyberpunk, which is cyberpunk was at the time. And of course, it's 30 years later that we're looking at this, that cyberpunk was really about, hey, we're, we're broadcasting in the near future as opposed to looking back or, or backwards thinking, which, of course, now, <laughs> you know, that a there wasn't a war in in south america versus america there wasn't a south am war two there wasn't a bio plague you know um o'neill stations weren't created etc <laughs> so so it was kind of a immediate forward thinking that cyberpunk tried to have like hey this is going to start happening next year versus some of the genres of like steampunk which was Oh yeah, what happened if? And I think that's the imagination that that and and the whole uh, I'm trying to think of the genre uh, his, historical fantasy, right? Or, or or alternative historical genre of what ifs, right? And and I think right cyberpunk at the time was like, what if this happens? Now that we retrospectively look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, so what if that happened? This is how it would have gone. Um, versus I'm sure at the time you guys were thinking, well, we're at a divergence of what possibly might happen and what reality is going to, you know, actually do. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, from 1980, you could – I mean, some of it was obviously science fiction, like – but, but some of it you could, you know, you know, you were sort of like, well, these are things we can imagine, you know, like this could happen. Um, uh, and so I think it was a mix of like plausible guessing about what the future of the world might be, but also like straight up science fiction, which was what made it fun. Um, but that that brings up something that I wanted to talk about with, with, with both of you, which is kind of the idea of like 
the canon, right? And and just because I was looking at some of the chatter in in uh, in the Discord server before, which I, I thought was interesting, and 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 I I do think there are different ways you can relate to this material, um, and you know it can be fun to you know it can be fun to play canon RTG cyberpunk and to think about like what's part of that universe if you if you like it and and it's a great you know like it's a fun universe and a fun canvas for the imagination whether that's you know in fantasy gaming or tv or you know video games like there's a lot you can do with it um and there's a lot of good ingredients in the canon um i i think so one of the things i think about in terms of it being sort of rooted in this 80s vision is and this was part of my reaction to edge runner you know was like sometimes the sense that it, it can be a little bit frozen in amber you know like this idea of the sort of like you know anime rooted aesthetic japanophilic uh um you know sort of body uh -huh. modification the tropes right it can yep. be like you can fall into the tropes of like classic cyberpunk but i i think you know like we're in a very interesting place and time in history and our relationship with technology and i've been thinking about this recently just watching the sort of i'm going to describe it as a moral panic because i think it is in some ways but the sort of moral panic about the the rise of like ai and large language models right um and like like how people are reacting to this or how they reacted to social media before it like i, I think there are you know, like there are really interesting ways to think about what the essential ingredients of quote cyberpunk unquote are and how you can kind of remix them into new and different ways. And and I was thinking a little bit before this conversation about like what some of the 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 you know, what I thought the default ingredients of, of cyberpunk were, and I'd love to get your opinions about this. But I, I think to me, you know, the sort of key ingredients are like the sort of the I the, the, the anti-corporate sensibility or, you know, the, the, the idea that like the sort of corporations are the true root of power um, and sort of fundamentally sinister is, is one pillar. The idea that there's social breakdown is another pillar. And the idea of the omnipresence of, of, of technology in kind of disturbing ways is yet another. And, 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 you know, those are key ingredients of the original Cyberpunk 2013 and, you know, the sort of the genre materials that we were drawing from. But when I look at the world today, I see lots of different and interesting ways to kind of remix those same ideas and come up with sort of different flavors of Cyberpunk um, that 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 uh, can be fun to toy with, I guess, is yeah. where I land. Um, so, so for mm. me, yeah, I, I, I definitely see... A, now that we live in the future, right? Now that we live in 2020, 2023, and, and the, 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 the idea that was postulated back in the 80s and 90s, um, seeing, and, and granted, I don't see the technology as rampant. I mean, it's different, but I don't see as rampant as I would have saw it back in the 80s and 90s, right? Um so so I, I we had a conversation a little bit before this before the the stream was how we view you know the low life high tech um 
<laughs> uh, this was one other ingredient I didn't I didn't mention, which was right. that the protagonists are kind of outside of society. Right. And and the the corporations definitely. I mean, look at what corporations are now today. They're they're their own person. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought that? Right. That that some governments would recognize a corporation as a individual, which is mind boggling. Um, the one thing you haven't gotten right is the corporate security or armies. Uh, we do have. Well, the, I, I was thinking about. We're, that we're getting close. We did, uh, I mean, we're getting very close. Did, I mean, we have we them. Uh, right. Monsanto the bought Blackwater. Military contractors, right? Exactly, Blackwater. And I thought that I kind of feel like they're maybe not to the scale or now, you know, Wagner Group in Russia. Um, yeah. uh, uh, looming large. I, I don't know that we got the scale right. They're not big in the way that we imagined them, but I think we got the idea right. Oh, definitely. Kind of spooky, but... <laughs> and, and I totally agree with that. I mean, even now there's um, proposals from various corporations like we're going to create a community and those who will join our community, you'll be our employees and we're going to work with you and you know, you can see that next step that's that eventually is going to come. Um, I mean, you can almost judge how pure a cyberpunk media is by how disenfranchised the protagonist is by the world around it. Yep. Yeah, I think that's I think that is uh, I think that's true. And I think that's there's... why and I think that's that's when you. That's why I throw out things like Parasite as being like cyberpunk media, uh, um, you know, yeah. because I it's it's about sort of marginal characters, you know, sort of finding their way in 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 you know in a kind of stratified uh, uh, society in in sort of ingenious and slightly violent ways. Yeah, I mean, there and I've and not a lot of people mention certain movies. Um, that I've often taken as this is very cyberpunk. And there was a couple of series that HBO did, which was uh, Barbarians at the Gate, which was a novel before, um, which basically talked about the rise of uh, R.J. Reynolds. It was right. It was yeah. the, uh, the attempted hostile takeover. I remember that. Yeah. James Garner. Yes. So, so that movie, to me, totally epitomized corporate world cyberpunk right you you add in certain strike teams and black ops teams to that and boom you got you got a cyberpunk game right or a cyberpunk campaign absolutely right um then there was a sequel which was um weapons of mass distraction which was basically about two corporate ceos who were trying to buy a, a sports team and they were two media giants right and what they did to kind of discredit the each other that was another totally you know especially from a cyberpunk genre of two megacorps warring with each other to get a sports team right um if you haven't seen it i i don't know if it's available at all but it's a great a great movie to to when it comes to the, the manipulation of a megacorp, right? And and how they, especially a, a media megacorp, and how they would wage war with each other. 
Yeah, I, so I, I think that is also right. And I, I think one of the fun things about cyberpunk and imagining it is often you're kind of looking at stuff in the world now. Again, the idea of all science fiction is really about the present. And with cyberpunk, it's often just looking at what's in the world and then kind of adding a like a layer of violence and turning it up to 11, you know, like, and, and, then, and then you're good to go. And I, I think about this in terms of, so here's another cyberpunk movie I'll put out there. Um, and I, I've mentioned this a few times and, and I usually get blank stares, so go with me here. But there's a there's a documentary about live streaming culture in China called The People's Republic of Desire. And it's about all of these live, it's a, it's a movie from about, a documentary from about four or five years ago. The Maigan and Wuhan. Uh, and the live streamers, um, they're running run stables by managers and, you know, they make their money by being given sort of gifts and donations by their audience. And they're under huge pressure to be, you know, online all the time and they compete with each other and the stars do really well and people just like destroy their lives, you know, trying, trying to do this. And I remember watching that movie and think this, like this movie is like, one layer of gang violence and some extractions away from being like a cyberpunk story, you know, like it's, it's, it's that close. I, I often think, and, and this is because I lived there for a long time, but I, I, I think in many ways, China is like the most cyberpunk country today, not Japan, um, just because of the way technological society has kind of risen up in interesting ways from the, from the grassroots in, in China. Um, and uh, and this live streaming thing was one example of that. And I thought, it's so close. It's so close uh, to, to, to being true cyberpunk. It's like just just a little violence and some 84s away. Um, and uh, there's... I mean, there's it's China. The violence always comes. Well, you know, I mean, I managed to live there for eight years without, uh, without too much trouble. But uh, the air was definitely rough. Well, yeah. So we want to get a little bit back to um, some of our questions, specifically around 2020, because I, I love the conversation that we have. And, and like I said, I think we're probably going to have you on to do a little bit of a deeper dive after you played uh, 2077. Um, Indeed. So were you able to... So back in the day, right, when, when Mike was actually creating Cyberpunk, um, did you actually play in his games? And if so, you know, what characters did you play? If you did. Ooh. I definitely, if you remember. We definitely <laughs> played. I mean, good God. Uh, um, I'm sure that we did uh, um, because, you know, we were sort of test driving it. Um, and but, but a bunch of people ran games uh, at various times. And I'm, I'm sure Mike did. I probably, I should have pulled it out. I must have like my characters around somewhere. And I, I think my default character was, because, you know, I was boring and unoriginal as a solo. Um, I don't know. I might have the binder handy. Let me go see if I can dig them out while we're talking. I have a, an amazing amount of this stuff that still exists and sits around in folders, you know. Um, yeah, it's been a recurring theme with these interviews that we're trying to track down, you know, who created what characters that became the legacy characters. Obviously, you know, all the adventure source books you wrote, those are all yours. But uh, yeah, it's 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 this sort of lore that we live for these these backroom oh, stories. See, I can find my my high school D&D &D character sheet and 
brilliant illustration done of him by my old buddy Sam Liu, later went on to be an animation director. Um, now I cannot find my punk characters anywhere. They must have vanished into the mist of time. I will tell you that my default character was probably a solo. I have some memories of the character sheet, um, you know, because we all wanted to be action heroes. And, you know, oh, yeah. we also watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies at the time, which was probably, you know, they uh, <laughs> had probably too big of an impact on us. Um, um, but yeah, you know, like Mike definitely used to run, run games. I remember, I have clearer memories of playing teenagers with Mike than I have of playing cyberpunk with Mike, I gotta say. And that may just be because teenager games were like so loony that like they just made a bigger impression. <laughs> yeah, I can't find the character sheet. It was worth a look. I did find my dice box recently, which is in very bad shape. <laughs> the, the old dice. Oh, no, I bet it's the same box from the 1980s where, where because I was infatuated with Japan, I had written the word dice, dice in katakana on the top in Sharpie, which is still there. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. It's a bit cringe in retrospect, but there it was. I was like 17. What do you want? Oh, dude. You, yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I used to draw and draw my own cassette tape covers. <laughs> that's excellent i i will uh i will definitely I, I support that um but yeah i mean i think you know mike did run games uh um we definitely played uh i remember playing i remember playing teenagers i remember playing dream park games uh, because we all had to kind of get our I, our heads around the idea which was a little weird uh um But I would I would struggle to remember any specific campaigns. It's just too long ago. That 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 makes sense. I mean, yeah, we're we're ha asking you to dig deep here. Um. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I ever played C.J. O'Reilly as a character, and I created him mostly as an NPC, and I I I. If I'd known what was good for me, I would have played him as a character, but I can't, I can't recall if I did or did not. So we have one question around uh, CJ Rally. So you said he, he uses him as an NPC. I wasn't sure if you create him as like a narrator because we talked with um, Ben Wright uh, around Adam Smasher, right? And his invention of Adam Smasher was just a quick narrator as opposed to an NPC or a PC. So was CJ Rally an NPC that you actually ran games for or use in your games? Well, I think he was a character that popped up. Um, I don't think he was ever like a central character in a game. And I didn't run many games. Uh, uh, I never considered myself a very good, because I wrote a lot of supplements, but I, I, Teenagers was the only game I thought I was a kind of natural game master for. And I, I you know, I ran like sort of champions, top secret games and sort of back in the day. And I just, I never thought I was that good at it. And the people who were really good at it had a certain improvisational ability. I had friends who were just so much better at it. I was like, I'm going to play. I'm going to let them do the, do the, do the game mastering. Um, some of them were my, you know, my, my writing buddies at, at, at RTG. So CJ was invented 
first and foremost to be a, a narrator and a way of setting up situations, particularly like the whole sort of Latin America conflict situation. And he was, you know, he was a war correspondent character, but he was kind of, he was created to be sort of gonzo. But the idea was also that he could be an NPC. He could, he was somebody who could always serve as a guide, you know, in, in those landscapes uh, if needed. It's it's funny that you mentioned uh, that GMing wasn't really your thing because you wrote you wrote two of the best like campaign source books I've ever seen, uh, Tales from the Forlorn Hope and Land of the Free. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. By the way, if you uh, if you hunt around in Land of the Free, you should find uh, NPCs named for the. Uh, for what was then the entire offensive line of the San Francisco 49ers, um, uh, uh, possibly with minor changes for legal reasons, but they're in there. Um, yeah, I mean, like making up a story and creating the spine of a story, like I like doing that and I'm fairly good at it, I hope. But I, I think it's one thing to construct the elements kind of with the luxury of time. And it's, it's a very, it's a skill to manage a group of players and then to use those ingredients in the moment to create something original that incorporates what the players are doing. And I'm very deliberate, you know, like I, I arrive at conclusions by talking about them and I write and then I rewrite stuff and I remix it and I rethink it because, you know, anxiety. But I, I think there are people, whether it's their own materials or whether they're taking campaign materials and using them as a basis, who are very good at that in the moment work with players and relating to players and you know, what they create is not what's in the source book. I mean, within my theory is like what they create is a combination of what's in the source book and the story they tell around the actions their characters take. And and what I discovered when I was running games, whether my own supplements or with other supplements and other game systems is I, I, I allow my, I become too much a slave to the material. And I was better at like coming up with the ingredients and putting them out in the world for other people to do what they wanted with than I was in like running the games myself. So if other people took those ingredients and like ran great campaigns, even if they changed and remixed stuff, I couldn't be happier. That's great. But I, I don't have a problem like with audiences or anything like that, but I just, there were, I was never the most skilled at that remix it in the moment aspect that I think separates a really good game master from like a so-so game master. I wasn't a terrible game master. I was a so-so game master. Well, speaking of, speaking of Forlorn Hope, uh, which I, I've got two questions related to this. Uh, Forlorn Hope. Because now I'm not going to remember. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Oh, okay, Forlorn Hope. And uh, while we're at it. Yeah, there you go. Um, one of the core members of the bar, uh, the wife of the owner, uh, Marion Russell, uh, Marion Russell Freeman was a transgender character, uh, who, as I said, ran a bar, ran the, ran the bar. 
And that was years ahead of its time. Um, other than when Gravity Fails, which you also, you know, were, wrote the source book for, that was the first time that I'd ever seen a transgender character in a role-playing game. Hmm. Cyberpunk 2077 oh. features a transgender bartender named Claire Russell. Uh, so and, I uh, knew that. I, I will tell you... Sorry to spoil that for yes. you, but... Uh, no, it's fine. It's good. Good for them. I, I don't know if Marianne was my creation or Frank Fry's creation because I was, you know, like Frank had conceived a lot of the sort of ingredients and then I wrote the stories around them. And okay. C.J. O'Reilly is definitely my created, my creation. And I don't know if I created Marianne or he created Marianne. It's, it's, um, uh, it could have been either of us. I will say, and I found she was transgender, but I'm super happy that she is. Um, I mean, I grew up in the Castro in San Francisco and in the 70s. Uh, and, you know, like there was just the kind of certain freakiness in the air that I, uh, you know, I don't know. I used to walk through that neighborhood on my way home from the school bus like every day. And it just was part of the background. And I, I like to think that I barely, uh, you know, that I'm just you know like people can be who or what they want to be and that's fine and and um so like whether it was frank or me good for us because i think uh you know i i think i don't think that's anything to get too weirded out about like that is the way people are in the world there are trans people in the world they're part of the background they're they they should be treated as you know people and uh, related to a set. So if a certain number of characters are are, are trans, fantastic. Um, so I'm glad we did that. I wish I could remember the antecedent, but uh, I'd love to take credit for it. Maybe I can. Well, I mean, that you have directly inspired, or yeah, direct inspiration uh, of the storyline you wrote went on to live on in the video game. Good. Uh, well, that is, that's, that's good. And I, I also think like, look, I, you have to look at the ethos of cyberpunk, right? Like, it's funny that I don't know. I, I wonder if anybody was like, well, that sucks and got offended by it. But like in cyberpunk, we talk about like the most extreme modifications of one's body by technology. And oh yeah, I, I think like, you know, like if, if you can have a have a, if you can comprehend a game or if you can if you can accept a game that comprehends the idea that you're going to replace chunks of your body with machinery why can't you comprehend you know a world in which people we could refashion their gender identity as well as their physical you know or mechanical identity uh, absolutely I, I think the, the positive way to look at the technology thing I mean, it, I think a lo in a lot of ways it was spooky, like the idea that you were sort of replacing your humanity in certain ways. But a more positive way to look at it is the technology is a way to express how you imagine yourself in the world, right? Like whatever you do to your body fulfills your vision of who you are. This is maybe is something that edge runners got right in terms of the, the obsession of the, the main character with modifying himself. And I, and I, I mean, gender expression is maybe it's like on that continuum as well and and if you can be free to choose you know your 
you know, the mechanical component of your body, you can be free to choose the gender component of your body um, or to adapt your body to match the, 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 the gender that is in your head. And I, I think that is, you know, like, like we're, this is a universe where people or are reimagining their whole selves. So why not? Yeah. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, my second question about uh, Forlorn Hope is uh, all throughout your writing, you throw out numerous uh, homages and Easter eggs to, you know, pop culture, particularly anime or science fiction. Uh, with Forlorn Hope, you obviously had the dirty like pair me. in there with with Roxy and, and Kissy. Yeah. Uh, what, what, if any, were the influences, if you remember, for the other, you know, characters that appear in the book? Some of them I've been able to, like, I can guess at, but... The only one I remember is C.J. O'Reilly because he was based on P.J. O'Rourke, the, uh, the humorist um, who we read when we were in college and thought that it was hysterical. makes so much um, sense. And, and his name, C.J. O'Reilly, is a pretty obvious, you know, like, connection. Uh, yeah. So he was based on a real person, um, you know, and, and his kind of gonzo tone was my, you know, extremely crafty attempt to sort of capture something of P.J. O'Reilly's voice. And, and um, but I don't remember, uh, I don't remember the origins of the other characters, but I will tell you that, like, I, I was always putting in, and I, that's why I remember, like, the offensive line of the 49ers being in Land of the Free. I also had a character whose name was a, 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 a kind of balderized translation of the French for pain in the ass. Um, mm. You know, like, I just, I loved those little jokes. And, and, and I, you know, like, as you can probably tell from this conversation, like, I'm, I, you know, I do enjoy pop culture and I like to think about it. Um, and I, I think it's fun to kind of embed homages and, and, you know, links to, to the things that have influenced us. Um, and I, I mean, definitely Dirty Pair. It's funny because, I mean, the Dirty Pair series was great, but uh, one of my all-time favorite animes is the Crusher Joe movie, which is the first appearance oh, of Dirty yeah. Pair as a kind of afterthought, you know, as the movie mm -hmm. they're watching in the movie. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of actually always what I think, too, uh, when Pair mentioned. Thank you. I've always wondered about that. So you created Arasaka. Um, was it a collaboration or did you have free reign when it came to creating Arasaka with Mike? No, I just did it out of whole cloth. It wasn't a collaboration. I mean, like, obviously it's had a life after that and people have, uh, have you know, layers have been added to it and it's been remixed and rethought by many people, which is great but like i i still have the i mean i like i'm not even sure i knew that it was going to be part of the game i i at the time i was writing it uh um i just i, I just and i can't even remember what made me want to write it at the time and whether mike was like we need a thing or whether i was just because i was like because while I was in college and like I was I, I was a huge Japanophile, I had read the 
though I was reading a lot of Japanese history, ancient contemporary, and, you know, absorbing a lot of Japanese pop, pop culture. And, you know, as I mentioned, like, the, the American neurosis at the time was like Japanese companies were going to take over the world. So it wasn't a big leap to be like, well, I need to do a sort of Japanese Daibatsu alpha villain character. But like so much of the origins of Arasaka were drawn from like my kind of like sort of elements of my personal experience. So uh, the, and it's funny, like the idea that, you know, the sort of the security corporation is, is a way to like, and private military corporations a way to like siphon information was it was it was too one-dimensional but it was it was a good start um but, you know the name arasaka is so my buddy scott ruggles who was an illustrator in uh for well he was a high school buddy of mine and then he became a, an illustrator for for rtg um, and then later went on to go do computer graphics for games um he uh owned a a Japanese Arisaka World War II rifle, um, which was the source of the name of the, the corporation. But the backstory for the founder of the Arasaka Corporation, Saburo Arasaka, is was like, I essentially lifted it from, not lifted, that's too unkind to myself. It was very heavily inspired by the autobiography <laughs> of uh, a Japanese uh, Redundant, a zero pilot in World War II named Saburo Sakai, who wrote uh, an autobiography that's a, a great read if you can find it. Um, it's called Samurai and uh, uh, and kind of his experiences in, in the war as a pilot. And and, and so, you know, Saburo Sakai to Saburo Arasaka, you know, the, the World War II pilot who dreams of restoring Japanese greatness and does so through you know, his kind of singular focus on building this company that can be, you know, that can that can funnel information, you know, the weapon of the future in his direction from 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 myriad sources. Like it was not a hard thing to conceive of given the ingredients of the time, I think. Um, and I, I I don't know, it's 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 funny, it's great, it's gratifying that it's loomed in people's imaginations for, you know, 35 years now that that makes so much more sense i always thought the name saburu came from uh Severo, the uh arms manufacturer in you know the shiroverse stuff Appleseed, ghost in the no, show straight up name first for Saburo sakai the uh that makes pilot. so much more sense actually i imagine and, and aligned, aligned Severo is probably inspired by that as well Maybe. And, and and then like the backstory, like the whole pilot backstory is just like, yeah, is, is Sabado Sakai, who, you know, yeah. I would like to point out became an author and not a corporate mega villain. Um, so I don't want to misremember him, but I still have a copy of Samurai around somewhere. My son, who's an aviation nut, read it, and super enjoyed it. It's a good book. Um, I'll have to seek that uh, out. So yeah, those, those, those were the ingredients that kind of came together. And I I think, and I never really thought about this, but if I have to analyze why Arasaka lives on, um, you know, part of it is because it's it was a bit of a blank slate. Like a lot of the other mega corporations were sort of pigeonholed into very specific areas or industrial domains, right? Like Militech was Militech, and 
you know, Savo oil was Savo oil and like, you know, and Petrochem was Petrochem. Like, but Arasaka could be anything you wanted it to, to be, you know. They, they yeah. like it was a it was very easy to remold it into whatever you needed. And and then of course, because it was Japanese and that plugged into the sort of pop culture ethos that cyberpunk was rooted in, that was like a little extra sprinkling of spice on top, I think. And I, if I had to psychoanalyze why it lives on when the other megacorps that we created kind of fell by the wayside, that might be where I would land. Well, it's also like, um, you know, hey, beware the men in black, right? <clears throat> in that kind I mean, of it's such thing. a perfect, yeah, it's, it's such a perfect representation of the cyberpunk corporation like this giant megalithic you know their hands and everything like you said just zybots yeah, you sort of whisper their name and people's you know like the hair on the back of people's necks stands up you know like that was sort of the idea or that's what it grew into i you know like i put a lot of thought into the design document for arasaka which is like 12 pages long you know it's like longer than what i actually wrote into the corp book um uh, but that was mostly because, like, I was, like, having a good time writing it. Um, but I, I do think, like, I, 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 my original idea for them was, was much more one-dimensional. And, and it was that blank slate character that has enabled people to kind of reinvent it and refashion it for all, you know, in different incarnations of Cyberpunk, which is great. I, I think, like, that makes me, you know, I mean, it's not a, as a creative person, you know, it's not a terrible legacy that, you know, people keep on reworking and reusing this thing. Um, why not? Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's except of course, you know, it's funny that, that like the corporations people are worried about now are not Japanese corporations. They are, well, you know, mostly domestic ones. Um, uh, and maybe to a degree, you know, at least from an American political standpoint, Chinese ones. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely, uh, mostly the domestic stuff though, uh, really is mostly the agricultural and, and food industries that I worry about. I thought one of them Well, was... you can have a lot of fun and, and I'm sure that they have been, I mean, like they do make, I mean, well, so, you know, if you want to talk about a facade of fear, um, you know, anything that involves bioengineering, because I remember the genetically, the, you know, the sort of moral panic over genetically engineered crops, right? Like, you have a lot of fun with bioengineered agriculture. And well, that's, uh, that's, uh, so speaking of Bong Joon-ho and cyberpunk movies, that's Okja, right? Like, yeah, or Okja, 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 the, the giant pig movie. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And yeah, it's it's find it on Netflix, folks. Um, so you you co-wrote and it's also because food you put it in your body, so it's a great place to get into like the horrors. Speaking of cyberpunk movies, Soylent Green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. was going to mention that earlier, like you know the the various um, technically sci-fi movies back in the day and. Like Rollerblade, uh, Silent Green, or Soylent Green. <clears throat> um, and there was quite a few that kind of like hallmarked the whole dark future of, of the world that you can get into. Yeah, even, even yeah, like I mean, Proto. 
dystopian movies like uh, Logan's Run and uh, I have Logan's Run on my list. I didn't mention it, but I think of that as a cyberpunk movie for sure. I do too. Um, um, so, it's, I mean, it's a journey like the, the, the journey in Logan's run is interesting because, it, you know, he starts as an insider in the society and becomes an outsider, um, sort of rebelling against its strictures. But I think that idea of a of a kind of confined and anesthetized, you know, mass culture is a very uh, that's a very cyberpunk idea to me. Indeed. I think uh, a lot of people like. Sleep on these on these older movies because, you know, they. There seems to be this prevailing thought that if something came out before a term uh, uh, a term was coined, that it doesn't like still fall under that 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 term. Um, like there are people who will say that Blade Runner isn't cyberpunk because the word cyberpunk hadn't been created yet. It's and totally I cyberpunk. Um, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's like it's it's. It's so the blueprint. We went to Singapore in 1995, and I was cutting together a, a video explaining what we were doing. Blade Runner was definitely one of the movies I I, I grabbed, you know, shots from to explain like the, the the core ideas we were and the aesthetic. Like the 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 aesthetic of Blade Runner is as I would say was like it's it's first of all the book the source book is is an important part of the canon. You know, do we ever dream of electric sheep? And then. Like the look of Blade Runner influenced everything that came afterwards in cyberpunk. So I, I, I think like it's it's dumb to be a purist about that. Yeah, I agree. It's it's in fact the blueprint for cyberpunk. Like it is the basis upon which all other visual media of cyberpunk, you know, was built on. Absolutely. The skyline, the giant ads with Japanese women on them, the kind of grungy street level life, the, the sense of a stratified society. Um, I mean, uh, if yeah. you really want to go back, you can go back to 1937's Metropolis by Fritz Lang. That is. That's really the I first cyberpunk media there ever was. I would well. It's definitely a, a, a very creepy science fiction movie. Metropolis is great. I, I haven't watched it for a long time. I should go back and rewatch it. But I, I remember just thinking as I was watching it how amazing the visual aesthetic of it was, and and, uh, and just like how ahead of his time as a sort of visual stylist Fritzlang was. But that's I, I I agree with that call. I think Metropolis is is good. I, I so. I mean, this was something I wanted to, I want to go back to this idea of canon, you know, because I, I think you can, I, I, you know, I like a lot of, you know, like I, Star Wars came out when I was nine. It was like a big impact on my life. I, 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 you know, I, I brought it and, you know, I, I kind of raised my son to, to, to appreciate it. And to, to be, I took him to see Return of the Jedi and Revival last weekend, you know, because it was on the big screen. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, these are like super important to me. I, I think, you know, fandoms are churches. And, you know, the, the word canon is a religious word, right? It's a body of religious law as a canon. And I, I think, yeah. you know, when we talk about these worlds, we can kind of be slaves to canon. And you can have arguments about what's canon and what isn't canon. And that definitely happens in cyberpunk. Oh, yeah, it does. And I, 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 you know, like, look, I think it's great if you want to play a game of canonical RTG cyberpunk and, like, work with the universe, 
you know, as it is laid out for you, you know, or you want to debate sort of spinoff media and like how, how authentic it is to the canon or not. But these are first and foremost creative endeavors, right? Like cyberpunk itself is a remix. Like we were remixing a bunch of media that came before, you know, like to make cyberpunk. And, you know, I, I, I think it's fine. Like, who cares about canon? Like, I think if you have a creative idea and you want to take a universe into an orthogonal direction or do something different with it, or if there's a piece of media that takes it in a different direction, that's fine. Be open to that. And you can decide what you want to use or incorporate or not. But I, you know, I, I think it's like music, you know, like all music builds on the music that came before. And I, I think these fictional worlds and these, you know, they build upon the worlds that come before and they're, they're meant to be feedstock for creativity. And I think it's fine to play with them and to remix them and rethink them. And, and, you know, they're just ingredients. And so I, 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 I'm like, I don't want to get too hung up on canon. I want people to have a good time and, you know, do something I never would have dreamed of with Arasaka, you know, make them the good guys. I don't care. Like, it's fine. You know, like it, it's, the, there are lots of interesting ideas to, to play with. I don't think people should limit themselves. It's funny you should say that because typically uh, Arasaka isn't isn't uh, isn't the villain in my games. Like it's just not. They're at anything they're neutral. They don't they don't care about you. They're uh, well. I think they're kind of more interesting as atmosphere. I mean, I think like yeah. you know. I, I, as conceived, the idea that you were sort of go head to head with Arasaka is like, well, you're going to be dead. So, you know, why would you do that? But I, I think as a as a kind of part of the atmosphere there, they can be super effective. Um, not to not to drag us back on course, but there's a there's a question <laughs> I've, I've been wanting to ask you. Um, you you co-wrote and edited the When Gravity Fails source book based off the novel by uh alec effinger how how closely did you work with him when when creating the source book so i i think mike was the connection back to uh uh to george or towards alec uh, I think it, i've always heard all three together george alec effinger uh, yeah sorry. and he had a role i mean like he definitely had a had like creative oversight to make sure we weren't screwing up his his vision um i don't remember like i think we had pretty free reign like i read the novel first and like made sure i i had the world in my head i enjoyed it too i thought it was a pretty good read oh, yeah. um and and uh I, and i think like we kind of understood the rules you know uh me and dave and, and chris and and um uh um with Chris's and I, I, uh, I don't like he wasn't involved in like the stuff we were writing. I think he had an editing task to make sure that we had like you know trashed his world. Um, and uh, uh, and I met him. Uh, I might have been at one of the conventions, um, but I, I didn't know him well. And and my principal homework was like reading and digesting the novel and like making okay. sure that I had a, a sense of the world he was trying to build so that we could be faithful to it. That's awesome. Yeah, I I've always been curious about that. Like, I, I think, so I, I say you don't want to be a slave to canon, but also if, if an artist has been kind enough to allow you to build on his work, you don't want to piss on his vision either. Right. 
Yeah, I was always curious about it because I know uh, Walter John Williams was heavily involved with the hardwired source book. So I was just wondering if it was the same type situation. Yeah, and I think of him as being more around in a way or more visible, um, although that, you know, might have just been like emails or, you know, and, and things that uh, uh, Mike was saying. or e Emails uh, were, um, were back in the 89, 90? Uh how are we communicating? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I, I don't know if I had email in 89. That's a good question. It's uh, hard to remember. It's a time very weird I area, think I, you know, when you're thinking back. Of, I think technology. I didn't have my own email account until I was in graduate school in 1992. Might have been when I had it, when I got my first email account. So I don't know, angry phone calls sitting around the table. Um, I, I think that the, the conventions were kind of places where a lot of the headbanging happened because we were all in the same place at the same time, um, which was not always something that happened. Um, uh, but I think, I mean, Gravity was interesting because it was just such a different take, like the location and the way he was thinking about technology. And it was kind of, it was a kind of different feel than the sort of, classic cyberpunk we were doing in a number of different ways. And, and that made it fun. Uh, in a, in a, uh, and it was all fun, but, but I think it's probably one we don't revisit enough just because it really was uh, a very original take and, and a, a really different cyberpunk world. It'd probably be considered cultural appropriation today, but I think it was very original. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was the, I mean, it was the I first time I'd ever seen, awesome. at least Sorry, it was the first time since Dune that I had seen, you know, Arabic, Middle Eastern culture represented like that in science fiction. So it was, again, like, yeah, ahead of its that's time. such a, an, an interesting culture, you know, and, and, and part of the world. And I, I, you know, like, I guess it's no weirder than like us trying to uh, appropriating a bunch of like Japan for the original cyberpunk, but it was a, it was a, it was a really interesting idea. And, uh, um, it's funny at you, we were talking about movies. When I think about the technology he created for that book, the bodies and daddies, that reminds me of strange days, which was another movie we did. Yeah. Watch yeah. That's uh, another kind of foundational genre movie. I haven't watched that one since it came out. I should probably go rewatch it. Well, uh, even looking it's, at... it's oh, good. Fantastic. Yes. I was, but talking but, about but this the, is a good I think this go ahead so go you first well I was going to get into the whole you know even you back in the day were or even with Gravity Falls bring in the Arabic thing now even today you see uh, the projects that uh, Arabian countries and nations are having towards building a uh, a more modern city and a more modern uh, environment. It's it's astounding how how much they're getting into becoming cyberpunk, right? Or at least from an environment. So you're thinking of like Neom in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. yeah, that's a very cyberpunk project if it indeed comes together. It's got all the ingredients. So I, I so this is a good point. One of the things that I um, well, I've been really looking at Dubai about, right now, you know. 
Yeah, Dubai is, well, you know, or Singapore, where I lived for a long time, which was used as the backdrop for the Westworld TV series, because it looked like a futuristic city in a way that American cities didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, not all of Singapore is futuristic, but a lot of it is. Mm. Um, but I, I think this is interesting. And to, I mean, come back to what made when gravity fails kind of fun and different. You know, the original cyberpunk is you know, like it is mostly America-centric because we were all Americans. And even as it relates to Japan, we were relating to Japan as like a, through the lens of American neurosis, right? Like not as its own thing. Um, and one of the things I appreciate about like Netflix and the streaming services, especially Netflix, is that there's a huge amount of like foreign material on it. And, you know, um, and, you know, we have, Found, I mean, like Korean stuff for sure. Obviously, Squid Games, another cyberpunk show. Um, uh, but uh, um, you know, very interesting to watch, like uh, um, thrillers and material from other cultures. Um, uh, like, go watch if you haven't the uh, the Indian thriller Sacred Games, which is not really cyberpunk, but also kind of is. Uh, um, it's adjacent. You no, know, sort of. Yeah, it's adjacent, right? And, you know, and you can easily sort of extrapolate, once again, a cyberpunk story from it. And I think it's really interesting to, like, pull in different cultures. And that's one reason why I fixate on China, because I have direct experience with it. And I, I've seen a lot there that I'm like, this is really cyberpunk. But I, I think there are very interesting ways to come at these genre ideas from different cultures. And that was the success of When Gravity Fails, you know, 30 years ago, ahead of its time in that respect, like the Middle East is a really interesting area and there's a bunch of really interesting cultures. And I think it's fun to, to see these ideas kind of emerge through the, through the lenses of different cultures with their own sets of neuroses. I like yeah. the, uh, I like the action films coming out of, uh, Indonesia the, this last 10 years with, uh, oh, the yeah, rise just of watched one. What was it? Uh, it was a riot. Uh, yeah, we just watched an Indonesian the night comes show. for us. I just trip. watched that last night. I can't remember. I, it definitely made me think I had to hunt up more. I, I, you know, I remember how obsessed we got with the Hong Kong action thrillers of the eighties, yeah. John Woo movies, just because they created this entirely new vocabulary of action film, you know, and and how they were paced and how the action worked and. You know, I, I think they were hugely influential for cyberpunk as, as well. I uh, you know, I, I just like I think I go back and I look at like hard boiled or the killer and the character archetypes there, you know, or bullet in the head. Like <laughs> these things are like pure cyberpunk. But they, you know, they 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 I bring mean, all their own kind of cultural lens to to this day. Better Tomorrow 2 is still the best shoot 'em up movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's up there. Um, and of course, he was remixing based on Peck and Pod, like American influences that came before him. Yeah. Again, this is like where you have to not be a slave to canon. Like all of this stuff is accreted, you know. Um, but those, those. Everything's got an influence. Great. Yeah. And, and it was very interesting to watch that sensibility percolate into Hollywood and, and uh, uh, you know, form the bedrock of how we rethink about action clear up to and through like the John Wick movies. Also, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Very. Um, and, uh, uh, and to trace these lineages and to think about how they relate to the genres, I find it to be a huge amount of fun. Yeah. 
it so, is it is a good way to kill a Sunday afternoon. That's for sure. Um, we're about twenty minutes from where we're going to stop, but so I just want to, and I'm sure we're going to enjoy this story. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I definitely want to ask it, and I think you've headed towards it. Um, can you talk about the cyberpunk video game that never saw the light of day back in 95? You bet. Um, so I, um, where's the best place to start? So I, I used to go to Gen Con every year with Mike and the crew and we would run games and work the booth and have a good time. And those trips were a huge amount of fun. We would go eat ludicrously huge German meals and go drink <laughs> the cheap bars. Um, and I felt like a grown up, you know, like I was young, you know, but like <laughs> they were such a good time. And it was only Milwaukee, which is like not exactly an exotic city, but I had a good time. Um, Beer and, capital of America. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. Well, so there you go. And the, and uh, uh, we played a lot of Doom in those days. Doom had come out and, uh, you know, my, my buddy Dave, who was also a, uh, an RTG contributor, had gone to work for Capcom, the video game company. And uh, we would go, uh, you know, he would sneak us into the office after hours and you could, you know, you would get on the PCs, which were all DOS, and you could, you had to boot them into the LAN. They didn't connect automatically. And then you could run Doom and you could play Doom on the network. And it was wild. Like, we'd never done anything like that. We would play Doom death matches till like all hours. We had a lot of fun playing Doom and, and uh, played way too much for our health. And um, so I was out at Gen Con in like 1994 or three, I forget which one. And, and um, I, this guy had a booth and he was selling a Doom level editor. He had a company called Renegade Graphics and he was, the product he was selling there was a level editor from Doom on floppiness. So you go build your own Doom levels. And I was like, oh, that seems fun. And uh, so I was, you know, I, I was having a chat with him and, uh, and I ended up trading him some cyberpunk books for a copy of his software and uh, uh, took it home and was building Doom levels, which is great fun. And, uh, you know, he and I started, started corresponding, and, uh, uh, and I guess we did have email in those days. Uh, yeah, we must have, because we were emailing each other. And uh, this was like 93, so we were, we were, we were, we were definitely on email. And we, uh, we had a lot of shared interests, and so we, he got a book contract to do a book on games on the commercial online services and uh, wrote me in as his co-writer. And we co-wrote this book together uh, on games. This is like, uh, like uh, Genie, the GE Network, and Prodigy CompuSurvey OL, right? Like we wrote this book on games on the commercial online services circa 1993. And, uh, and we wrote a follow-up book on games on the early internet. Some of them come out in like late 94, or the very beginning of 95. So like super proto internet, because I, you know, we, I started farting around with the, the web in like 94 when I was in grad school. And I was doing broadcasting and the internet version. I was like, this seems interesting. Seems a lot more interesting. Than so sorry to interrupt uh, you. Was and, that Raw Shaw? Was that what? So, so there's a book called The Complete Internet Gamer by Willie, Will Moss and Ron Shaw. Oh, uh, so yeah, it's uh, Joe Pantuzo. Uh, yeah. is the is the person I'm talking about here. And uh, the other book is called Online Games with a very clever, you know, A in a circle, like an email at uh, in the games, because <laughs> that was, you know, in the year this came out, that was still a novel 
idea, not a tired and incredibly <laughs> hackney. Yeah, that came, that was, so it's copyright, the both of them are copyright 95. Um, uh, nope, nope, the internet one is, came out in 96. So we turned it in in 95 and it came out in 96. Um, and so Joe, Joe Pantuzo was, was, was the guy. And uh, we did these books and Joe and I, Joe had some friends who had done like an engine, a text-based engine, game engine. And, uh, 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 and I was an audiovisual guy doing, uh, you know, sound editing and sound effects. Uh, and I worked in radio. And so Joe, I, you know, we started working on some little game projects and sent me a copy of some 3D modeling software. And we were kind of dorking around. And, and, uh, and so then in, uh, and I saw him again the following year at Gen Con and, and so I'd like seen him face to face twice and, and we were, we were mostly buddies online. And so in, uh, in August of 1995, he emails me and he's like, Hey, some guys from Singapore have contacted me about, a, you know, a, a game operation they want to start up. Uh, and you know, they want to bring me out there to talk about it. You want to come out with me. <laughs> and I, I'd graduated from grad school. I was six months out of grad school when this happened to work in producing talk radio on part-time on the weekends and writing for Mike during the weeks and starving to death slowly. And, um, cause neither paid well. And, uh, uh, starving artists. I was like, sure. Cause it sounded crazy. Like, yeah, we're going to go to Singapore, like and meet with these guys. That seems like bullshit. And, and uh, so I said, yeah, that would be great. I would love to. And, uh, it happened. They flew us out to Singapore. And, um, uh, and so I, I went, I flew to Joe's house in Tennessee and I spent like a few days with him and we kind of workshopped our pitch to these guys. And, uh, the original idea was not cyberpunk. It was, it was, a, it was a different game. It was a kind of, uh, more anime, uh, kind of combat game, like robot stuff. Um, and, we went out to pitch to them and and it and amazingly enough it went well because we were like i must i have to i cannot stress enough idiots right like in way over our heads and so we went out and we pitched these game concepts to these guys in singapore we flew eight thousand miles on their dollar to singapore a place i'd never been and had no picture of in my head i remember reading like the photo's guide on the airplane so i didn't you know do something <laughs> stupid uh, and, and we met with these guys. They worked for a company called Symbolic Media. It was the first big internet company in Singapore. They found Joe online and they decided he was their guy for reasons I don't understand. And Joe had brought me along as a number two. We went out, we pitched them and they said, this is great. We love it. We want to do more. And we thought like, well, what else can we do? And we thought about the cyberpunk thing. So we, 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 we thought, okay, we can do a game based on cyberpunk. And we went and we talked to Mike and we said, Mike, look, we'd like to license cyberpunk to do a game and nobody had done one and mike was into the idea and i think we paid him ten thousand dollars or rather symbolic media paid him ten thousand dollars to license the rights to cyberpunk so we had the game rights to cyberpunk and and that in in november joe and i moved back to singapore they moved us back to singapore along with four of our friends from the u.s um including my my buddy mike mcdonald who is another rtg contributor that i brought along specifically to work on the cyberpunk stuff and we had a mission to build both this this uh, this kind of combat game and also a cyberpunk massively multiplayer online game. And 
that was what we set out to do. And uh, we hired a team of like 20 bright young Singaporean artists and software developers. And we set about trying to make these games and failed so miserably. I mean, just we're in so far over our heads and like had no idea how to relate to, you know, Singaporean bosses. We did a pretty good job with our staff who were so talented and deserve so much better than they got from us. And we were well-meaning. And I still have a lot of the materials, the art, the content, like, you know, and, and we did a lot of work, but it just like, I mean, we fought war after war after war with our bosses and we were expensive and we were kind of arrogant and stupid. And, and when they started running into money trouble after about eight or nine months, and started looking around for like noisy, expensive, loud mouths to cut. Like <laughs> we were very close to the top of the list. So we, it, the whole project lasted 14 months and then they just fired us all. And um, I Donald and I both stayed in Singapore and we joined another startup where we worked for several years. And I ended up staying in Asia for 17 years uh, as a result of this. Met my wife in Singapore and lived there and lived in China. Came back to the U.S. 10 years ago. But, like, I, I think back on that experience super fondly. Like, we were, we really meant well. And, and so, you know, we had a lot of ideas, but we could not execute. We were just too inexperienced and, like, you know, over our heads. And, and they could smell it, you know, after the first few months. And, and so we were doomed. Um, and the funny thing what? is like, that was the end when that crashed, that was like the end of my fantasy gaming and video gaming, both not on purpose. It's just, I kind of stopped after that and was doing other things. I was working in another internet startup and did that until the dot com collapsed. And then I got into doing technology comms, which is what I do to this day. And, and uh, you know, life changed, but that was the story. We, we tried to do this and we spent like, a million and a half bucks and failed utterly. Well, and for for our younger listeners, you know, I, I think, was it back in 95, 96? If I remember correctly, they actually published a book, like a phone book of all the internet sites, right? Um, it's hard to express to people who weren't there at the time how clunky and weird the internet was in like yes. 1995. Like, you know, if you were, if you were styling, you dialed up with like a 44.1 modem, you know, <laughs> like, had to listen to Cutting edge stuff, would be 2880, you know, all the, right? All the noises. I think we were a little faster at that point. You could get faster than that, but not much. And I remember, I still have the receipt for the computer I bought in May 95 after I, I graduated from grad school and I treated myself to this computer. Um, I bought it from Micron, who made computers in those days. Uh, you just, like, it's going to blow your minds. I mean, you may remember these days, but, like, it was the second PC I bought. I bought a 486 in, like, 92. Yeah. I used Macs when I was in college. I had, a, like, an original Mac when I was in college. And then I, you know, PCs were the computers you could game on. And so I bought a 486. And then I, in 95, I bought this computer. Check it out. It had a Pentium 100. Okay. <laughs> uh, yep. A one gigabyte hard drive. I, I, oh man, you were rolling. Eight or sixteen megabytes of RAM. It's probably. It had eight. a Diamond Stealth four megabyte video card, a Creative Sound card, and it had this Diamond is like the really kitchen part. A one hundred megabyte tape backup. Check that out. 
Jesus, man, you were with a tip top. I was balling, balling. And it had a, I, I bought it with a 14 inch Nokia branded Trinitron monitor, which was also like, that was some sick shit in those days. Anybody want to guess how much this computer cost me at that time? About $4,000. Yeah. Very close. $5,000. It cost me almost Ooh. exactly $5,000. I had to split it over two credit cards, which was dumb. <laughs> and, For something that today is that, outpowered by your phone in every uh, way. Like, like out, I have like, like my thermostat outpowers that computer. And yeah, uh, but like, I was so pleased with that computer. I had it shipped to Singapore. And I used it until 2004 when I moved to China. Like it, it after it outlived its like useful life, it was a giant tower case. I, I oh, became a file store just under no my desk. I used it until the very last minute. It was, and that was the last fully assembled, like fully, fully leaded, like all in one, non notebook, like 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 built out tower PC. I bought until. One month ago, when I bought a gaming computer, the first PC I bought in years, I work for Intel there. Like, I, 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 uh, I bought, and I just like notebook computers for 25 years, and I, I finally bought a gaming computer like a month ago, mostly for my kid, but also kind of for me, and it's been fun. So that's why I'm going to play Cyberpunk 2077 on, now that I've got something that's kind of up to it and has a good video card. But like this computer, which is a thumping computer, cost half of what that Micron did. Yep. And the, what, I mean, like, that's $5,000 in 1995. So what's that worth now? 7,500? I could buy three of this gaming computer yep. for like, you know, it's amazing uh, how much, you know, cheaper good computers got. Oh, and, and it uh, does like, you know, yeah. almost 100 times better processing than, than what you had back in the day too. Um, yeah, so I, so I mean, like once again, the video card in that computer is got a hundred times the power of my that whole other computer. <laughs> yep, like, maybe more. It's, yeah, it, I mean, it insane, uh, dude. I, you I, try I to explain this. this to the younger generation, and they just look at you like you're talking crazy to them. Like you, oh, you did what? I experience this every day. I'm like, and you know, he knows because I'm like, you know, when I was your age, and then he rolls his eyes. He's like, stand up. He's a great yeah. kid. Like, but like you, I, I love. To I mean, when it comes to when it when it comes to electronics, we literally did walk uphill both ways in the snow yeah. compared it's to so, what they've gotten. I mean, it's, it's it's so true. I remember my first mobile phone, which I had in Singapore in 1997, which was like a, an Ericsson brick that did three lines. Of oh paper. Jesus, these things were huge. Know, like, it's crazy. And I was like, I was like, I was cool. I was like, check this shit out. So I, I think, I mean, like somebody who's worked in and around technology since like 94, like, but I, I mean, like, so this is the fun part, right? Because Cyberpunk was all about, I'm going to square the circle here or close the loop or whatever, metaphor of choice. Like the, the, the like, Cyberpunk is all about technology. Someone just posted uh, how much it actually would have cost or cost today. It would have been $10,041. 10, and 12 so cents. Go, 12 bear cents. in mind that I had, I well, said, so thank you. I, I, whoever posted that from the bottom of my heart. And you have to remember that when I bought it, I had literally no money, right? So like, this was debt. Um, and uh, I don't know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. But I mean, I have worked in the technology industry since then, one way or another, through the game project that crashed and burned, and then through the second startup, which was a web design startup, and then doing technology comms in, in 
in Asia and then back in the U.S. And, and you know, cyberpunk's about technology anxieties. And you can see those in real life. You can see them when we have anxieties about social media and what they do to our politics or what they do to our kids or the rise of AI or, like, are our smartphones melting our heads? And, like, and, and I, I understand it, and it's right to be concerned. But also, like, the reason why I've stayed in this business is that, like, it's fantastic. Like, I, I, I love it. I love the technology, and I love what it enables us to do. And, and I, it does come with all of this baggage as well. But I also find it, like, genuinely miraculous. And, 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 and you know, when you sort of wallow in cyberpunk, you can, you can lose sight of that. But, like, this stuff is amazing. And, uh, and, and it was great fun living it, even though, you know, like, it, it, like neurosis about technology was a huge part of what informed our work on cyberpunk way back in the day. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good description of, of the, not only, you know, your own thought process, but the feeling you get from reading it and, you know, experiencing uh, cyberpunk is, you know, neurosis. That's, that, that's about as good as it yeah. gets. And, and we're about but to I also, like, I remember, I, I was living in China. I'll tell you one more story, because I know we're out of time. And I remember seeing an iPhone for the first time. My buddy Steve Schwanker brought one back from the U.S., and he showed it to me. And, like, the first moment I saw it, I was like, I, I was like, this is the future. Like, I got to have one of those. So I went back and I bought one on my next trip to the U.S., very first generation iPhone. I brought it back to China. I jailbroke it so I could use it on a Chinese network because they weren't sold in China then, uh, which was terrifying because I'd spend a mint on this phone. And I was like, oh, I'm going to brick it. You know, like it worked. And I, I used it until the company I was working for at the time sent me a nasty gram because they used Blackberries. And they're like, you're not allowed to use an iPhone. We don't understand what this is. And, uh, and I was like, well, the future, man. But I, I, I still enjoy it. <laughs> And, and I, I always have, and I, I think you can have fever dreams about it, but you should also, I, I mean, I think the wonder of technology also powered our thinking on cyberpunk at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that much is uh, kind of the basis of the whole thing. Like uh, wondering where technology is going to take us, what's going to be beneficial, what's going to be, uh, what's going to be harmful and trying to find some middle ground in there that we can uh, we can use to move forward. So um, we got about four minutes left. We'll, by all means, hang out with us if you, if you still have some time. We, we can chat after the show um, and just catch up. But before we leave, you know, you just bought this uh, gaming PC. Hopefully you're going to play 2077. Um, I would suggest. I think I, I kind of feel like I'm obligated to. Yeah, Say, I felt like I was <laughs> you are obligated to. Like At this like point, you're not only obligated to play it, but you're obligated to come back and share with us your experience. Exactly, I, uh, especially we'll, the author we'll of Arasaka. Um, you're obligated. My suggestion to you is to play on easy mode in the beginning. Play through it. <laughs> enjoy it i don't have to i got no gaming chops whatsoever so exactly yeah, so it. so training wheels training wheels man t take it easy um play it. it it's definitely well worth the um well worth 
the the play do as much it. of the side shit as you possibly can that's where all the really fantastically fun stuff is it's on it, everything it, that happens on the side it's the little bits of text you find like it's going to speak to you in in ways yep you're you're going to have saraburo you're going to have uh yoranobu hanaka um Several, you know, even Militech is in this, so you you definitely want to enjoy it and succumb. And and there's definitely uh, a lot of lore behind it, so you can take a look at it and either laugh or be proud of what what you've completed. Yeah, we'll see whether all that stuff I said about you know not getting hung up on the cannon, like I'm gonna like play it. I'm gonna be like, how dare they? But I'll try not to. Yeah. So, yeah, I cannot wait to hear your reactions at all. Exactly. So, um, we'll, we'll schedule another time to catch up with you. Um, we do have some more questions. Uh, I, I don't think we we th- went through the complete list uh, of all the questions. Yeah, I, I feel have. like my knowledge, especially of like the the details of the game back in the day, uh, were exposed a little bit uh, just because I've been away from it for so long. But uh, it was definitely. I had a good time, and it's fun to revisit all this yeah. stuff. And, so, so uh, from I, and, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And, and dude, we appreciate you taking the time. I mean, I I know you're like one of the original dudes, uh, and I didn't even think we were going to be able to talk with you because you know I I didn't know if you've moved on completely. I mean, so we definitely I, appreciate it. I know, I know that Cyberpunk 2020 is a niche within a niche within a niche of the larger world. But I got to tell you, man, every time we have uh, one of you guys on the show, I feel like a teenage girl meeting Elvis in the 50s. Like, it just... <laughs> overwhelmed with appreciation and admiration. Well, listen, did you just faint? I'm just I'm just going to, like, hold the line I mean, with that, uh, that analogy for the moment. But uh, I got the vapors. I'm, yeah, don't have a swoon on me, but I, I'm flattered. <laughs> I mean, like... I, I mean, I don't know. Like, it was great fun. I look back on it with a lot of nostalgia. And as you can tell, I love talking about pop culture, so I'm pretty much always up for that. And, and yeah. We, yeah, we are also all about, you know, discussing scenarios um, and, and, you know, uh, from our previous shows, we, we talk about the, the previous supplements as well as other game mechanics within cyberpunk and we often go on a diatribe of what ifs and and various things i mean granted we've been talking with a lot of uh of the old school uh writers and artists so we do appreciate all your time that you've you've taken out for us so again i think you were one of those people that at least in my opinion was one of those holy grails that you know, because you stopped in 95, I wasn't sure how, how well we, we would be able to get you back. And I do appreciate all the time you've, you've well, given us. Don't tell my as... wife I'm the Holy Grail, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's been a ton of fun. I, I had a really good time talking with you. And I'm very, I think back really fondly on this stuff and, and all the guys and, and Mike and, and just, it was, it was a long time ago, but it was a trip. And, cool. uh, and you know, like it changed my life. Yeah. So if you want to hang out and talk to us, um, continue to talk to us, that's fine. We just need to close this show because we're a little over two hours. Um, so 
just hang out in Discord. We'll do our little spiel of, of the closing. Give the outro. Yeah, the outro. Um, so I'm Cyber Smiley. Um, I have cybersmiley.net, uh, a, a website that has Cyberpunk 2020 utilities as well as Cyberpunk Red utilities. Um, I'm also have a Discord server, uh, Cyber Smiley Data Fortress. Uh, you can get a link on my site to my Data Fortress. I also go to a lot of other Discord channels. Um, try to hang out on those as well as Reddit. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. Um, no, no offense, but <laughs> I find them garbage. Uh, garbage dumpster fires uh which i really don't want to deal with but you know it is what it is anyways on to you wisdom uh, i am derek bernier aka wisdom triple zero i run data fortress 2020 the largest most comprehensive site for cyberpunk 2020 material on the planet uh i am on facebook i am on reddit and i i kind of hop around on discord a bit uh, like Will, I am not on Instagram. I am not on Twitter. I don't, I don't mess with that stuff. Um, but you can always reach out to us uh, through any means that you can find us. Uh, with comments, criticisms, complaints, uh, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we'd like to thank you all. Yeah, we'd like to thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank our buddy uh, William Moss for coming on our show. Here, here. And we'd like to thank We'd like to thank Cyber Nation Uncensored for hosting us tonight. Um, and thank all of you again for listening in with us. Talk to you uh, next time. Bye. Thank you.